Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Showcase Sundays today on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated G for general audiences. Welcome to Mutual Presents. I'm Jack Ward. This week, it's another peek at the Mutual Audio Network's YouTube channel showing the best from our spiritual forefather, the Mutual Broadcasting System. This time, we proudly present a double feature from Sunday Showcase with the Mutual Radio Theater, Long Distance, and love conquers all. So let's wind back those clocks and listen to another grand golden age double feature. This is Vincent Price. Have you ever had one of those days where nothing goes right from the moment you first wake up? Len Doyle is having just such a day. First he overslept, then there was no hot water for his shower, he nicked himself shaving, popped a button on his shirt, lost a cufflink, and broke a shoelace. Len would like nothing more than to crawl right back into bed. And he would, if only... Len! Len, hurry up! You're going to miss your plane! I know, Helen, I know. I'm hurrying as fast as I can. Where... Where's my breakfast? Don't, don't I get any breakfast? Here, orange juice and a piece of toast. Oh, You'll have to eat it on the way. You haven't got time, Len. Oh, all right. Have you got my plane ticket? Yes, and your bag's in the car. Now let's get going. Wait. I, I think I hear the telephone. Let it ring. Oh, I better answer it. It might be the office. You get the car. Hello? And that's only the beginning of our story. Mutual Radio Theater. A new adventure in radio listening. Five nights of exceptional entertainment every week. Brought to you in Elliot Lewis's production of the Mutual Radio Theater. Our story... Long Distance by Steve Sharon. Our stars, Janet Waldo and Lou Horn. Len Doyle, a young Denver real estate appraiser, is just leaving for the airport when the phone rings. Len is already in danger of missing his flight, but he goes back to answer the phone on the chance that the call may be important. Hello? Hello. Hello, Leonard. Aunt Gertrude? Is that you? Yes, dear. How are you? Oh, I'm fine. But I'm afraid I can't talk to you right now. I'm on my way to St. Louis. On business, actually. But... <laughs> well, you've spoiled the surprise. You see, I was going to stop by to visit you while I'm in town. Oh, 
I've got to go now, Aunt Gertrude. Helen's waiting for me in the car. I'll call you as soon as I arrive in St. Louis. And don't worry about picking me up at the airport. I'll get a cab. Leonard, wait. You mustn't fly. It isn't safe. Do you hear me? You mustn't fly to St. Louis. Yes, dear. Now, now, don't worry. I'm sure I'll be fine. Oh, I've got to go. I'll see you this afternoon. Leonard, wait! Bye! I'm coming, I'm coming! You didn't say who called. Oh, it was Aunt Gertrude. Aunt Gertrude? Yeah, can you beat that? Here I am on my way to St. Louis thinking what a surprise it'll be when I show up at her door. And she calls me right before I leave. <laughs> anyway, I told her I was coming. Oh, why? You still could have surprised her. Mm, yeah, but it wouldn't have been the same. <sighs> it was good to hear the old girl's voice again, but her timing sure could have been better. <laughs> now I am really late. Oh, the traffic's not that bad. We'll make it. Did she say why she called? Well, there really wasn't time to chat. Oh, but when I told her I was coming, she said not to fly. You're kidding. <laughs> I didn't I ever tell you? It, it all started when Amelia Earhart disappeared. Oh. Yeah, ever since then, Gertie's been afraid to fly. <laughs> That's why she took the bus to Denver for our wedding. Oh, I love your aunt. She's such a character. Yeah. I've been thinking about her a lot lately. You know, she's the only family I've got left. I worry about her being all alone. If we both didn't have jobs here, I'd move back to St. Louis. Len, why don't you ask Aunt Gertrude to move to Denver? She can live with us. We got plenty of room. Do you mean that? Why not? I'm home most of the day working on my illustrations. I could use the company. Besides, it'd be a real hoot having someone like Aunt Gertrude around. You know, if you weren't driving this car, I would give you the biggest kiss. Shall I pull over? Oh, don't tempt me. <laughs> We're late enough as it is. <laughs> Union flight 319 for Chicago, now boarding at gate 24. Here's your ticket. Oh, yeah. I can't go anywhere without that. Yeah. Well, I guess I'll see you in two days. Uh, mm. Well, you better hurry. Bye. Call me when you get to St. Louis. Yeah, I will. Dr. Williams, please report to the Union Airline desk. Oh, hey, excuse me. Uh, oh, excuse me. Uh... Uh, flight 405 to St. Louis. Has it left yet? 405. Yes. Well, no, that leaves in three minutes. Oh, but it can't. I I'm supposed to be on it. Look, here's my ticket. Well, we ask our passengers to check in at least a half hour before departure, Mr. Uh, Doyle. Yes, I know that, but, but I overslept. Look, I've got to get to St. Louis. Well, we do have a later flight. Oh. I see. Yes, yes, leaves at 1142. Oh. Shall I reserve a seat for you? No, no. I have a business appointment this morning. Look, can't you call and make them hold the plane? Oh, I'm sorry, sir, but that's against company policy. Oh, isn't there any way I can get on that flight? Well, there's always a chance of a delay while the passengers are boarding, but you'll have to run for it if you're going to make it. Oh, thanks. Uh, Mr. Doyle, your ticket! 
Do you have any baggage? No. Oh, uh, yes, this overnight bag. Well, you can carry that on board. Oh, please hurry. There you are. Thanks. Have a nice flight. Global flight 201, now arriving from Mexico City at gate 12. Uh, excuse me. Uh, excuse me, please. Why don't you look where you're going, fella? I'm sorry. Uh, excuse me. Can I get by? I'm, I'm, I'm late. Ex excuse me. Hold it. Huh? Just where do you think you're going? Uh, 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 gate 37. Uh, I'm on the flight for St. Louis. Uh-uh, not till you go through the metal detector. Oh, yes, of course, but, but, but I'm already late. Mr. Everybody goes through the metal detector, no exception. Yes, I understand that, and I'm perfectly willing to go through it if you'll just hurry up. You see all these people here? They're all waiting to go through, just like you, only they were here first. So, if you'll just step to the end of the line... Oh, but I'm late! That's not my fault. Just step to the end of the line. But I have to... To the end of the line. Oh, great. Just great. Gertie, I love you dearly, but why? Why did you have to call this morning? I beg your pardon. <laughs> to bring you this special news bulletin. Union Airlines Flight 405 bound for St. Louis has crashed on takeoff from Denver's Stapleton <gasps> International Airport only minutes ago. Lynn! Lynn! No! A frantic rush to the airport, a quick farewell. And now Helen Doyle hears on her car radio the painful news that she may have said goodbye to her husband for the last time. And police and fire officials have closed off the area. The number of passengers aboard the flight is not known at this time, but Union Airline officials are expected to release the information shortly. This latest tragedy brings the number of airline crashes this year to a total of... Uh, I've, I've got, to, got to get back to the airport. Find out. Give you any information please, around here? Please, I, I, can't you tell me anything about my I husband? Need some information. His name is Doyle, Leonard Doyle. I, I'm sorry, madam, but what, what about I, my partner, George Baker? Is there any news about him? Is my yes, daughter right. Julia Warren on your passenger well, list? Now, me... She was supposed to leave for school today. I'll see if I can. I can't remember what uh, flight she was on. But please, madam, the oh. airline's doing the best it can. Oh, if you please, were doing your I've best, no, this wouldn't have happened. I'm sorry, no, I didn't mean... Well, I know, I know how hard this must be on all of you, but we are trying to find out as much as we can about the accident and who was involved. So please, folks, will you please will be you patient? Please check as quickly as possible. 
Uh, when do you suppose they're going to tell us? I, I, I don't know. Computers. That's the trouble. Getting computers to talk. Yes, I, I suppose so. It's, uh, it's your partner you're waiting to hear about, is it? Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's not quite the same as you waiting to hear about your husband, but... My husband! That's what I mean. It's not the same, of course. Is it? That man in the phone booth over there. Huh? Yes, it is! Excuse me! Oh! Oh, oh it is! Oh, it sure is! Oh, yes, that house to his jacket! It's Len, all right! Len! Len! Helen! Oh! Oh, thank God! Oh! Oh, 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 it's, it's, it's all right. I'm alive. I'm, it's all right oh, now. I, I, I thought you were dead. I know, I know. I, oh. I was praying you hadn't heard. Oh, I've been calling the house again and again. There's, there was no answer. They would, they would tell me if you were on board. I, I was too late for the flight. I ran as fast as I could, but I was too late. <laughs> no, it's all right now. It's all right. Oh, I'm so glad I was too late. Please don't go to St. Louis. No, no, of course I won't go. I'll stay. I'll stay. I won't leave now. I don't ever want you to leave me. No, no. I'm feeling much better, Mr. Adams, really. Well, it's just that under the circumstances, I think it's better if I didn't go to St. Louis right now. That's quite all right, Len. I understand. You see, I promised Helen I'd stay with her. And to tell you the truth, I'm... I'm not too crazy about flying anywhere right now. I don't blame you. All of us here at the office are just relieved that you weren't aboard that flight. Yeah. You know, it hasn't quite hit me yet, just just how close I came to... Well, anyway, if it's all right with you, I'd like to take the rest of the week off. You take all the time you need, Len, and don't worry about St. Louis. The appraisal can be postponed. Now, I'll call and let them know the situation. Oh, thanks, Mr. Adams. You just take care of yourself and and, and give my best to Helen. I will. Thank you. Uh, I'll see you Monday. Bye-bye. Oh, I guess it gave Mr. Adams quite a shock when he heard about the crash. But he's glad I'm safe. Oh, and uh, I have the rest of the week off. Oh, good. I think you can use it. Oh, we can both use it. Helen, turn up the volume on the TV. I want to see if they've got anything more on the crash. Oh, okay. The cause of which is still under investigation by Federal Aviation Authorities. Meanwhile, Union Airlines has released a list of the passengers on board Flight 405. There were no survivors in the crash. Those poor people. Of those names now appearing on your screen, all but six were residents of the Denver, Colorado Springs area. Helen, look. What? My name, it's on that list. Oh, no. Oh, where's the number of that airline? But how, how, how could they make such a mistake? Well, you gave them your name at the airline, didn't you? Well, of course I wanted to find out if you were... Well, a... with all the confusion, they probably think you're still there with the other relatives. That you've already been notified. And we forgot to tell them you were too late to board the plane. Ah, here it is. <laughs> Helen, see if there's any more news about the passengers. Oh, hello? 
Union Airlines. Yes. Uh, I'd like to speak to and someone in charge of releasing are being allowed about to continue crash. as scheduled. Yes, sir. In other uh, news, the Middle Leonard East Doyle, situation took a positive casualty. step forward today. Both Israeli and Egyptian sources confirm that negotiations are continuing, <sighs> and an That's agreement is that. pending. Yes, I, yeah, I understand, and and I'm sorry for the mix-up too. Yeah, it it was my fault. All right, thank you. Goodbye. Well. The airline is going to notify the wire services and the local news media to have my name taken off the list. Oh, good. I just hope they can correct it before our friends see it. Otherwise, you'll be deluged with sympathy calls. Len? Hmm? What about Aunt Gertrude? Holy smoke, I forgot. Oh, she'll have a heart attack if she hears about the crash. I'd better call. Oh, yes. There's no answer. Uh, I'll try again later. In the meantime, why don't we go out to dinner? It'll take our minds off what's happened. Oh, oh, I'd love to, but what if Aunt Gertrude phones while we're gone? Mm, we really ought to stay home just in case. Yeah, you're right. But I don't think you should have to cook dinner. No problem. I can reheat the spaghetti sauces in the refrigerator. Oh, but you'll have to go to the store and get some more spaghetti. <laughs> I will if you'll promise to lie down and take a nap before dinner. Oh. After what you've been through, I think you could use it. Mm. It's a deal. I'm so glad you called. We've been trying to telephone you. Um, th there, there's been a, a change of plans. Len won't be there until some other time. He, um, he, he missed the plane. I told Leonard not to fly. Oh, yes. Yes, you did, didn't you? Oh, it's a good thing he wasn't on that plane, because... I'd better let Len tell you about it when he gets back. I sent him to the store to get some spaghetti for dinner. Are you still cooking on that old stove I gave you? Oh, yes. As a matter of fact, we are. You shouldn't cook on that stove. It isn't safe. It's too old. Oh, nonsense. It has character. Besides, it uses gas. And nowadays, that's so much more economical. You take my advice, Helen. Don't use that old stove. <laughs> it isn't safe anymore. Oh, and Gertrude, I have to run. I smell something burning in the kitchen. Um, look, I'll have Len call you when he gets back, and we can have a nice long talk then, okay? Helen, don't use... Bye that. now. <sighs> because Len Doyle ignored his aunt's warning not to fly to St. Louis as he had planned, he just missed becoming a fatality in the crash of a jet airliner. And now his wife, Helen, has also received a warning. Honey, I'm back. You didn't say what size package I should get, so... so... 
and the house was filled with gas. When you didn't answer, I thought it was too late. I was was taking a nap. It's my fault. I I shouldn't have left the kitchen. But I I didn't think it would hurt to let the sauce simmer a while. Oh, it's that old stove. It just isn't safe anymore. Lynn, that's just what Aunt Gertrude said. Aunt Gertrude? Yes, she called just after you left. I I told her you weren't coming to St. Louis. Did you and, tell her why? No. Why well, I thought you'd better explain that. <sighs> anyway, she she started telling me the stove isn't safe and that I, I should be cooking on it. Well, she was certainly right about that. <sighs> well, now that Gertie knows I won't be coming, we don't have to stick around here and wait for her to call. We'll go to dinner and give the house a chance to air out. It's not as good as your cooking, but I'm too hungry to be picky. <laughs> oh, thank you, darling. You know, it's funny how your Aunt Gertrude knew about the stove. Well, it's an old stove. She was probably just surprised to find out we're still using it. Yeah, but don't you think it's strange that something should go wrong with it right after she called? Oh, it's just a coincidence. Maybe, and maybe not. I I might believe it if, if it only happened once, but she also warned you not to fly in that plane, remember? Helen... Gertie was hardly specific. I told you about that plain phobia of hers. I certainly don't think she's psychic, if that's what you're hinting at. Well, I'm just trying to make some sense out of all this, that's all. Has, um, has your aunt ever shown any signs of being precognizant? Oh, sure. Oh? Yeah, when I was a kid. Aunt Gertrude used to read tea leaves. Oh. Oh, now let me see. Um, can I remember any of her predictions? Oh, tea leaves. That's hardly. She the same. said I was going to be tall. Oh. Well, I'm 6'3. She was right about that. Oh. And she said I was going to be handsome. Oh. <laughs> and I refused to admit she was wrong there. Lan, I am trying to be serious. Oh, and once when I was in high school, after I broke up with my girlfriend, she told me I would meet someone else. Her exact words were, Don't fret if you get stranded on the highway of love now and then, because there'll be another bus along in five minutes. <laughs> Very funny. But maybe I'm wrong. 
Maybe Aunt Gertrude is drinking a better brand of tea nowadays. Oh, yeah. <laughs> After all, most of her predictions did come true, especially the one about my being handsome. How would you like this salad in your lap? <laughs> I'm sorry. The number you have reached is not in service at this time. Please check your directory carefully and dial again. This is a recording. Oh, damn. What's the matter? That is the second time I've dialed Aunt Gertrude's number, and I keep getting a recording saying her phone is out of order. Well, maybe you better go through the operator. Mm. Yes, I'm having trouble getting through to a number. Could you please dial it for me? What's the number, please? It's long distance to St. Louis. Area code 314-555-2522. One moment, please. Thank you. I hope she has better luck. I'm sorry. The number you have reached is not in service at this time. Please check your directory carefully and dial again. Operator? Yes, sir. Now, I know that number is in service because I've received two calls from there today. Is there any way I can get through? I'm sorry, sir. The problem is at the St. Louis end of the line. It may be only temporary. I'll report it, and I suggest you try again in the morning. Uh, well, I guess I don't have much choice, do I? All right. Uh, thank you for your help. You're welcome. Oh, no luck, huh? Ah, the line's all screwed up. I'll have to try again tomorrow. Well, I wouldn't worry. At least we tried. Someone's at the front door. It's kind of late for visitors. Yeah. Leonard Doyle? That's right. Good evening. I'm Marion Haynes from the Denver Express. I'd like to ask you a few questions about the airline crash this morning. Oh, well, it's, it's pretty late. Uh, can it wait until tomorrow? I'm sorry about that, but I've got a deadline to meet for the morning edition. I tried to call, but... Yeah, uh, all right. Um, well, come on in. Thanks. It won't take long. Uh, this is my wife, Helen. How do you do, Mrs. Doyle? Uh, hello, Miss Haynes. Uh, please sit down. Thanks. I suppose you know that the airline released a fatality list with your name on it this morning, Mr. Doyle. Uh, since you're obviously alive and well, can you explain how your name got on the list? You did check in at the Union Airlines desk this morning, didn't you? Yes, but I never actually got on the plane. You see, I was going to St. Louis on business. And we were just so happy to see each other that we forgot to tell the airline that I wasn't on the plane. I see. Well, that certainly clears up the discrepancy. Oh, uh, honey, hmm? you didn't tell her about the call. Helen. Stop to answer a phone call from your aunt. That's why you were late. Yes, you mentioned that. Oh, but uh, he didn't tell you that she warned him not to fly. Oh. And then this afternoon, she called no, uh, and... It, it was really nothing. Uh, uh, Helen seems to think my aunt's fear of flying is proof that she's psychic. Oh, well, thanks anyway, but I think I've got the angle I need. Now, I'd better be going if I want to meet my deadline. Thanks again for talking to me at such a late hour. Oh, that's okay. It was no problem. You're welcome. Good night. Good night. Good night. Helen, I thought we had all that psychic business settled. Why'd you have to bring it up again in front of that reporter? She probably thinks we're a couple of kooks. Well, I'm sorry, Len, but it bothers me. Aunt Gertrude warned us twice, and both times she was right. 
I just think there may be more to it than coincidence. All right. If you really feel that way, why don't we drive to see Aunt Gertrude? Oh, do, do you mean it? Why not? I still have to go to St. Louis to make that land appraisal. Yeah? I can take care of business, and you can have your curiosity satisfied. <laughs> <laughs> Besides, the drive will do us both good. <laughs> Vincent Price again, and here's the fourth act of Long Distance. Please check your directory carefully and dial again. This is... Damn! What's the matter? Oh, it's that stupid recording again. Oh. You'd think the phone company would have Gertie's telephone fixed by now. How am I supposed to let her know we're coming? Well, you wanted to surprise her. Anyway, we can always stop on the way and call her... Hey, did you put the bags in the car? Yeah. We can go as soon as you're ready. What's the matter? You look like you don't want to go. No. No, it, it's not that. I I, I, I want to go. Well, what then? Oh, don't tell me you're having second thoughts about this. You're the one that wanted to have your curiosity satisfied, remember? I know. It's just that I have those book illustrations to finish. So you bring and, your work and, with you. Uh, now, come on. Now, let's get out of here. Oh, I'll get it. Hello? Helen, is Leonard there? Oh, Aunt Gertrude. Oh, yes, he's here. Oh, wait, Aunt Gertrude, we were just trying to get you. We've been... Uh, just a minute. Hey, Len, it's Aunt Gertrude. Oh, good. Let, let me talk to her. Hello, Aunt Gertrude? Yes, dear. It's me. Oh, I have had a heck of a time trying to reach you. Did you know your phone's been out of order? I've been very worried about both of you. Yes, and we've been worried about you. As a matter of fact, that's why Helen and I have decided to drive over to St. Louis for a visit. No, you mustn't drive. What? Why not? What's she saying? She doesn't want us to drive. It what? isn't safe to drive your car. Leonard? Do you hear me? Don't drive your car. Uh, yes, dear, I, I hear you, but I don't understand. What makes you think something's wrong with the car? You must not drive your car, Leonard. And Gertrude, how did you know about the plane and, and about the stove? How, how did you... Don't drive your car, Leonard. It isn't safe. Oh, but that's ridiculous. You, you can't just... Hello? Hello? Oh, for crying out loud. What happened? She hung up. But what did she say? Oh, I don't know. Something about not driving the car. Oh. She said it isn't safe. Oh, Len. Oh, no. come on, Helen. You're not going to tell me we should take her advice seriously. Yes. Yes, I am. She, she warned you not to get on that plane and about the stove. And what if she's right about the car, too? How could she be, honey? How could she know anything was wrong with the car when she's hundreds of miles away? But, but maybe... I, I know. I know she's psychic. Lan, what are we going to do? Hey, uh, Mr. Doyle. She's ready to roll. Have you checked 
everything thoroughly. Yes, sir. I went over this car of yours from headlights to taillights. There ain't a thing wrong with it. Just needed a few bolts tightened here and there. Mm-hmm. You hear that, Helen? There is nothing wrong with the car. Aunt Gertrude didn't know what she was talking about. Well, maybe you're right. This, uh, Aunt Gertrude, she a mechanic? Oh, no, no. She's just an eccentric relative, I'm afraid. Uh, well, how much do I owe you? Oh, 30 bucks ought to cover it, plus an extra 10 for making me come out to your place to pick up the car. Hmm. All right. Let me just put it on this credit card. I'll get your receipt. 40 bucks just to prove to you that Gertie isn't psychic. And to prove it to yourself. Yeah, well, I'll have to admit. I was beginning to wonder. But that is all over with, right? Well, I, I don't know. Oh, Helen, believe me. The car has been checked out and everything is all right. But we can't let a few coincidences start to run our lives. If we do that, we might as well lock ourselves up in the house and never go out. Now, will you drive with me to St. Louis? <sighs> You're right, Lynn. Let's go to Aunt Gertrude's. Mm, that's my girl. if I turn the radio off? Land? Hmm? The radio. Can I turn it off? Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Hey, you look sleepy. Do you want me to drive for a while? No, no. No, I can make it. We'll, uh... Uh, we'll stop at the next town and, uh, spend the night. Oh, good idea. I'll get the map out and see how far it is. Now, if I can, if I can get this, this flashlight to work. Just a minute. There. There we go. Let's see now. Uh, where are we? Um, Interstate 70. Hmm. We should be in Selena in about... Ah! Ah! Oh, must have dozed off at the wheel. Oh, honey, if you hadn't seen that truck. Len, it's happening. It's happening just like your aunt said it was. I don't understand how, how she could know. Len, do something. I don't want to drive any further. Please do something. I'd like two train tickets to St. Louis, please. Thank you. Well, any luck? No. All I get is that stupid recording. Mm. Her phone is still out of order. Well, we'll just have to go on, then. But we've got to get hold of her, Lynn. Why? What if it isn't safe to go on the train? What if something is supposed to happen to us while we're on the train? Oh, honey. Well, we can't stay here. Don't... Don't worry. Everything's going to be all right.
Carolyn, stop fidgeting. You're making me nervous. I can't help it. I keep thinking about... Well, don't. Think of something else. I don't know how you can be so calm. Because I am trying not to think about what might happen. Then you do believe that Aunt Gertrude is... is... Clairvoyant? Yes. I don't know. Maybe it's like those astrology columns in the newspapers. Practically anything that happens to a person can be made to fit those astrology forecasts because they're so general. Aunt Gertrude was very specific, Lan. Don't fly, don't cook, don't drive. Look, honey, maybe we're trying too hard to attach some personal meaning to what's really just a series of bizarre coincidences. Only we could have asked Aunt Gertrude about taking the train. Well, it's too late now. We made our decision, logically and intelligently, on our own. And if we're wrong... And we can kiss logic and intelligence goodbye. Keep the change, driver. Lynn, she's painted the front door again. Well, we made it. Safe and sound. Thank God. <laughs> Thank Aunt Gertrude. Maybe she isn't home. Well, she should be. I know she doesn't go out much these days. Aunt Gertrude? Excuse me. Who's that? Excuse me. You folks looking for Gertrude Cullen? Uh, yes, we are. Uh, I'm her nephew, Leonard Doyle, and this is my wife, Helen. Oh. I didn't know she had any relatives. Well, we're a little worried about her. You see, we've been trying to get hold of her. Her telephone seems to be out of order. Oh, it's not out of order. Line's been disconnected for the last two days. What do you mean? I... I talked to Aunt Gertrude just yesterday. I don't think so. We both talked to her. You don't know, do you? Know what? What, what, what is going on here? Where is my aunt? Uh, I hate to be the one to tell you this. Your, uh, your Aunt Gertrude. She died a week ago today. The Mutual Radio Theater is brought to you five nights a week at this time. Tonight's original radio play, Long Distance, was written by Steve Sharon and produced and directed by Fletcher Martin. Your host was Vincent Price. Our stars were Janet Waldo and Lou Horn. Featured in the cast were Louise Fitch, Sidney Swire, Jerry Hausner, William Zucker, Stanley Director, Robin Braxton, and June Whitley-Taylor. The Mutual Radio Theater theme was composed by Nelson Ritter. John Harlan speaking. The Elliot Lewis production of Mutual Radio Theater is a presentation of CVI. This is Cicely Tyson. 
Join us again tomorrow when I'll have another story that illustrates one of love's many faces. Today in Beaconsfield, England, the snow is falling so heavily that we can barely see across the square to the old Norman church tower. Two teenage schoolgirls are standing outside in the bitter cold. Marie Page has straight blonde hair, and Lynn Hibbard has red curls. Their fair skin is pink from the cold, yet they stay outside, eagerly watching the entrance to Puffin's Tea Shop. Suddenly, Marie grabs Lynn's arm. I told you, that's him, Marie. The girls stare rapturously at Paul Willis as he goes into Puffin's tea shop. Paul is the girl's biology teacher. He's writing a book on butterflies and is the faculty sponsor for a very successful student travel program. Yet, somehow, I have a good old Yankee hunch that these two young English girls are much more interested in his tall, graceful frame than they are in his academic prowess. Ready, Lynn? We can't just follow him in there. Of course we can. Come along. No. Seriously, let go of my armory, please. I've never been in love before, and it makes me nauseous. Love doesn't make people nauseous. Besides, I distinctly remember your being in love with the Bay City Rollers. Oh, but they're on the telly. They're not real people. Look, Lenny, whatever happens, whatever Mr. Willis says to you, don't giggle. You'll be safe as long as you remember that. Don't giggle. All right. Oh, uh, hello, Mr. Willis. Marie, Lynn, well, you both look ruddy and healthy. <laughs> Mr. Willis, oh, fancy meeting you here. Oh, what a coincidence. Well, I, I never would have expected. Oh, mm. Indeed, this is a surprise. Oh, I had no idea. And that's only the beginning of our story. Mutual Radio Theater, a new adventure in radio listening. Five nights of exceptional entertainment every week. Brought to you in Elliot Lewis's production of the Mutual Radio Theater. Our story, Love Conquers All, by Patricia Joyce. Our stars, Joan McCall and Ivor Barry.
Marie was right. Giggling was the beginning of the end for poor Lynn. Even after Paul Willis and his friend Clive Burnett sat down to tea, Lynn kept right on giggling. Once the girls were seated, Lynn was able to stop laughing, but she still wasn't able to concentrate on anything. Instead of pouring cocoa into her cup, Lynn poured it onto her kilt. Realizing that the Puffins Tea Shop adventure was already a fiasco, Marie suggested that they leave. Unfortunately, Lynn got up so fast that she toppled her chair over onto Grace Watson's Pekingese. The animal let out an angry squeal and retaliated by biting a hole in Mr. Knight's argyle sock. Puffin's tea shop is now in a state of chaos as Marie and Lynn flee out the door. Oh, my. I was nervous. You don't think he could tell, do you? I think he may have noticed. Oh, I knew it. We'll simply try again. I made quite a fool of myself, didn't I? It doesn't matter. Of course it does. I disgraced myself in front of half the town of Beaconsfield. Right in front of him. A person must be willing to suffer humiliation for the sake of true love. Oh, look at me. My kilt soaked through. It will probably freeze stiff by the time we get to your house. I forgot. Come on, let's run home before you catch your death. <laughs> Did your kilt freeze? No, but it's super cold. Here's my robe. You can put it on and get out of your wet things. Smashing. I'll find you something to wear home. Mm, thanks. However, right now we have more important things to do. Mm, help me get this box out from under my bed. Marie, what's in here? Secrets to success in love. You're joking. Open the lid. Fantastic! What a super collection! Everything you need to know is in those books. Not everything. Everything that's important. If you read enough of these, you'll be able to live by the romantic ideal. In other words, I learned to stop acting like a fool in front of Mr. Willis. I was self-possessed, wasn't I? I have no idea. I was too busy spilling things and knocking things about. Here's a good one. Across the Cossack night. What's it about? Read the back. Oh, you go ahead. She was the Tsar's court favorite, the haughty, beautiful Countess Natasha. He was the most feared villain in the land, the ruthless, powerful, and cruel leader of the Cossack hordes. Theirs was a love that was emboldened by passion, yet seared by fear and hate. A love that drew them across the wild Russian steppes until they were united as destiny meant them to be. Catch. Marie, this is 963 pages long. Well, that's all right. No, it isn't. Between schoolwork and my job with the sports shop, I haven't time to read a 963-page book. Well, here's one that's only six-something. Against an angry tide... Listen to this. Silver Orchid, a Polynesian princess, must marry the son of the chief. Yet her heart belongs to Edgar MacDonald, a scurrilous Yankee trader. She defies the taboos of her people and transcends her own primitive fears to find her way across the South Pacific and into the arms of the only man she can love. 
Well, at least it's shorter. Read what the reviewer says. Against an Angry Tide is a superb book. I couldn't put it down. I especially like the scene of the volcanic sacrifice. <laughs> Doesn't that sound scrumptious? <laughs> I find it difficult to see a connection between volcanic sacrifices and Mr. Willis. You do? Mm, quite. I should think it would be obvious. Once you've seen how Silver Orchid and Countess Natasha suffer to be with their loves, it's easier to suffer for Mr. Willis. Oh, difficulties like the crisis in the tea shop are the easy part of love. Marie, really... I don't think I'm up to it. Up to what? Up to love. It's too nerve-wracking. I don't see how you can deny your feelings like that. I don't know how I'll manage, but I've got to do it. I'll never pass biology if I stop giggling and dropping things in Mr. Willis's class. I suppose. Would you like to borrow the book anyway? I really haven't time. But they go so quickly. I read them during work when no one's in the shop. My boss would sack me if I did that. Pity. Hmm. I'd better find you something to wear home. Marie, maybe I can help you. Find something warm for you? No. <laughs> it's Mr. Willis. Do you mean that? If you'd like. Hmm. <laughs> Perhaps you can. <laughs> It isn't that Paul Willis is beyond the pining, worrying, and wondering that Marie and Lynn are doing. It's more that his pining, worrying, and wondering takes a different direction from theirs. Right now, he's in his bachelor flat, feeding his butterfly. He has 200 butterflies in a cage that fills half his living room. He feeds them individually then puts the fed insects into a smaller cage until all of them have had some nectar. It is a process that takes two hours. Two hours during which he worries about whether or not he was right to break off with his lady friend, Gina. So his worrying differs in form from Marie's, but not in substance. When Paul finishes feeding and releases the butterflies from the little cage, he, too, feels a sense of relief. Time to get away from his home, away from his thoughts, and meet with his friend, Clive Burnage, at the Saracen's Head Pub. Ah, oh, Clive, you're here. And I? I hadn't noticed. What do you think of this bloody weather? It's enough to make me wish we were already on that cruise. Hmm. I, um... I concentrated on getting us brochures for Italian cruises. They're cheaper than Spain and Greece. What with the economy going berserk, it seemed the sensible thing to do. Ah, yes, you're always sensible. Uh, by the way, do you think it's sensible to require students to earn two-thirds of their fare rather than half? No. All right. Well, this cruise seems to be the most economic and ecologically sane. What does ecologically sane mean? It means that we stay in the ports longer, therefore less trekking about in the boats burning up fuel. Ah, the great professor of biology and ecology must practice what he preaches. What is this? What? The way you're behaving. Oh, I wish I could be sensible. Why? You everything's so ordered. Nothing surprises you, does it? Now, where would you get that idea? Well, the way you were with Gina. You just said, it's not going to work. 
And that was that. She wanted me to give up teaching. So you just snipped her out of your life, uh, like you snip out a frog's heart with your dissecting shears. Nothing's that simple. Mm. You and Hannah not getting along? To put it mildly, Christmas was abysmal. I'm sorry. Please don't remind me that you warned me about this. You've just spared me the trouble. I made a mistake. What's wrong? The whole marriage is wrong. We, we, we shouldn't have had the baby right away. You're being a little extreme, I think. Hell, I know. I, I, I know. Clive, I'm sure you'll sort it out. Hannah's a lovely girl. I never objected to her just to the idea of marrying a student. I wasn't a bloody cradle robber, you know. We waited until she graduated. What difference does that make? She was still your student. There's a tremendous difference in terms of professional ethics. We're not talking about professional ethics. We're talking about a workable marriage. I honestly thought it could work. Oh, dear, I used to think Hannah was naive. Now it appears that I was. <laughs> Remember how she used to look at you? As though she thought you were William Shakespeare, Winston Churchill, and Sir Walter Raleigh, all rolled into one. Mm. You knew there had to come a time when she would realize that you were only Clive Burnage, English instructor. It was bound to be a disappointment. Oh, marvelous. Now you're insulting me, too. My wife and my best friend. You know what I'm talking about. Yes, yes, I do, unfortunately. Why don't you and Hannah talk about it? She won't talk. You're sure? Oh, yes, and my my touch gives her goose flesh. So you'll have to go through a messy spot. Now, I really think she's smart enough to realize that as far as ordinary mortals go, her husband's a fine one. And when do you think she'll have this stirring revelation? Eventually. Ah, eventually. That's comforting. It'll probably happen about the same time that my hairline starts receding in earnest. <laughs> probably. Oh, some friend you are. Thank you. Unfortunately, you know, I rather like being, uh, who did you say, uh, Winston Churchill and Sir Walter Scott? Or, or was it Raleigh? That's a child's game. There comes a time when the loo starts flooding. Now, what do you do then? Winston Churchill never fixed a flooding loo in his life. And you've got to pitch in and get your hands dirty, and suddenly the illusion is destroyed. Yes, yeah, stiff upper lip and all that. <laughs> all right, I, I'm better now. Good. Well, I suppose I must do as my favorite literary heroine, Isabel Archer, did, and uh, go home to my mistake. You know when I first fell for her? Hannah, that is, not Isabel Archer. No. Well, I was teaching them T.S. Eliot, whom I despise, and the poem was the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock, which I loathe. And Hannah had the audacity to call me up and ask me just exactly what Eliot meant when he wrote, Measuring out my life with coffee spoons. I wanted to strangle her, but instead I became very flippant and said, Oh, he's writing about me. I get up and I have my morning coffee, then I have a cup in the teacher's lounge and another cup at noon and still another while I correct your papers. Hannah didn't say anything, and then I realized what I just told her was the truth. Uh, I decided coffee wasn't enough to live on, so I snapped up Hannah as soon as she passed her A-levels. <laughs> well, the same thing will happen to you as soon as you're bored with your bug. I like my bug. Yes, well, some of us do have peculiar tastes. You still love Hannah, you know. Oh, yes, I know. I just wish that I could satisfy her by hand-feeding her for two hours a day, like you do with your butterflies. <laughs> You've no idea how simple your life is. Marie, are you off work? In a minute, Lynn. I have to ring up this book I'm buying. It's called The Winds of Windover. 
about a woman who puts on armor and goes off to the Crusades and falls in love with an Ottoman Turk. I thought an Ottoman was a footstool. It is, but it's also a sort of Turk. Oh, that fresh air smells good. You know the scientific method of inquiry that Mr. Willis is teaching us? Yes, I hate it. I've decided to apply scientific principles to my quest for Mr. Willis's love. It doesn't sound very romantic. No, it's not, but I think it might work. If you'd read the books, you'd see that sometimes the most romantic thing you can do is be unromantic. Oh. Would you like to be my research assistant? I don't have to fall in love with him again, do I? No, that's hardly necessary. What do I have to do? Actually, it would be best if we could run a series of experiments, but... Since we can't guarantee pure laboratory conditions, we'll simply have to observe him in his natural habitat. Like the African zoologist he told us about? Exactly. I've taken to carrying a little notebook about and recording his behavior. You're joking. Not in the least. I record what he likes, what he eats, and so forth. You could keep notes when I'm not around. Oh, smashing. What if he sees them? He won't see them. <laughs> Marie Page certainly knows what she wants. And at her age, she shows a lot of courage to go after her heart's desire. Life, however, hasn't yet shown her that what she thinks she wants is not necessarily what will make her truly happy. Marie, with Lynn's help, kept applying the scientific method of inquiry to the study of Paul Willis. Now that the cold, foggy days of winter have become the warm, foggy days of spring, Marie has devised her final strategy. Her strategy is as intricate as a battle plan in keeping with the dictum of historical romances that love conquers all. Mr. Willis. Mm, yes? Isn't it true uh, that you need a parent assistant to help with a student cruise trip? Uh, yes, quite. I asked my parents if they'd be willing to help, and uh, they said they might. They thought you might join us for supper Wednesday to discuss it. I feed my butterflies until 6.30, so it will have to be after that. We had planned for 7.30. All right, then. Excellent. I, uh, I think it takes a, a great deal of courage to... Take care of living insects. Courage, I hardly think. Well, it's better than sticking them with a bunch of pins, isn't it? That's near to vivisection. So is frog dissection. Oh dear, it is, isn't it? Mm. Complications in life can be irritating, can't they? Anyway, I really wish you would spend more time discussing your collection of living lipidoptera. I have enough trouble trying to make you remember the plant and animal phyla. By you, I assume you mean the general run of students, not those of us who are really fascinated with biology. Oh, of course. I would be willing to organize a select group of students and form an extracurricular butterfly club. <laughs> I'm afraid that if you proposed that, the headmaster would think we had butterflies in our heads. Hmm, sorry. If you're really interested, I'll work it into a class lecture. I'd like that. Fine. Then uh, I'll expect a full report on your lecture when I see you at supper Wednesday. 
it's got to be here. Can't you have a green kill and look like a schoolgirl? But you are a schoolgirl. The bane of my existence, believe me. Where is my good black skirt? I'm going to scream if I can't find it in ten seconds. Marie, pull yourself together. You're as nervous as I was when I made an idiot of myself in Puffin's tea shop. Mr. Willis will be here any second. What do you expect me to do? Answer the door with my French knickers? <laughs> it might have a smashing effect. Lynn, this is true love, not a wanton moment of idle lust. Isn't that your black skirt laid out on the chair? Oh, I forgot. <gasps> That's him! Hairspray. Marie, wait! Marie, that was antiperspirant. Oh, Mr. Willis warned us not to use phosphates. This is my punishment. It's fluorocarbons in sprays, and these don't contain them anyway. Oh, is this hairspray? It smells like an underarm. Here, perfume. Let's go. Oh. I hope all these steam sprays don't curdle on top of my head. Oh, Marie... I'm starting to feel nauseous again. I think I'll just dash out the back. At least wait say hello. Remember, our research says that he likes intellect and insects, and that if Countess Natasha can do it, so can you. Nanny, wait! Good luck! Oh. Uh, Mr. Willis, I thought I heard a ring, but I wasn't sure. I rang twice. I'm so sorry. I was absorbed in reading a, a most fascinating study on the effects of radioactivity on driver ants. Mm-hmm. Do take a seat in the sitting room and I'll get Dad. I fear Mummy must be a bit occupied with a steak and kidney pud. The other faculty coordinator, Clive Burnage, quite a good chap... He and I like to handle paperwork, so there really shouldn't be an inordinate amount of work for you to do, Mr. Page. Hmm. Yes. Hmm. Well, actually, it's not the work I mind. It's, uh, it's that I, I, I've never really dealt with the travel agency business per se, as it were. Clive and I handle that. What do you need me for, uh, so to speak? Oh, it's more of an emergency measure. I mean, there is some responsibility for you if anything should go wrong. I see. Well, it, it's rather a question, then, of, of coordinating the voices of the parents here at home, should we say? Precisely. You could do that, Dad, couldn't you? I don't see why not. Do you? No. Hmm. Yes. No, I should think not. Um, Agnes, where's that Demitas? She was raised in India, you know. Mm? Um, Agnes. Oh, oh, I see. Where were you? Raised? No, 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 no. In the conversation. Oh, yes. Well, the only time there was extra work for the parent representative was after the Alexandria incident. Alexandria incident? What was that? Oh, Dad, you know, Mr. Willis is famous for that. Hardly famous. Dad, it was in the London Times. The Times? Oh, Yes. The cruise ship was about to leave Alexandria. Suddenly there arose a terrible storm. An Egyptian captain was supposed to guide the ship out of the dangerous coastal waters. He said that passage was impossible and refused to pilot the ship. However, the regular captain decided that he must stick to his schedule and took a terrible risk. Agnes! <laughs> Come in here. You'll miss a cracking good story. 
It was a foolhardy decision. The ship dashed its belly against the floor of the sea, and a huge hole opened in its hull. Yet the crippled ship survived the storm. It limped on towards Athens, listing on its side all the way. It was a bit frightening, really, but perhaps not quite that dramatic. Mr. Willis, of course, was quite a hero. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, mm, quite. Super, not really. Nonsense, of course you were. You kept your young charges safe during the storm, then led a successful battle to have part of the affairs refunded. It was the least I could do under the circumstances. <coughs> ah, here's Aggie now. <coughs> ah, here we are. Uh, you're too late. You missed it. Oh, how disappointing. I do so love stories of foreign lands. No, she was raised in India, you know. Agnes. Dad, mm-hmm. perhaps we could invite Mr. Willis again and listen to more of his fascinating stories. Hmm, yes, yes. Well, after all, we will be cooperating, as it were. Hmm? Yes, super. Last week, my life looked as drab and forbidding as your Guinness. Your wife, did you say? Her, too. Things are better now. Ah, I wept. <laughs> she was feeding the baby and she looked over at me and she said, Mammy was right. Husbands are bigger babies than the little ones. <laughs> so she popped a bit of Tina's mashed banana into my mouth and she said, Were you hungry or did you just want to be cuddled? <laughs> I, I, I snivelled a bit more and started ranting about you and your butterflies and wishing that nourishment were as simple as finding a bite to eat. And we both went on with further illogical dribble until somehow things got better. Mm. Uh, Talkative today, aren't you? I was just thinking that life is hard. Some people come to the most astonishing conclusions. I mean, you and Hannah, so well suited, and yet there had to be some problems. If you care, you find your way around the difficulties. Mm, perhaps. Hello there. Paul? Come back. <laughs> I'm sorry. But look, I'd better be off. Our parent coordinator for the cruise is coming over with his family. I'm not that page bloke. He's not a bad sort. <coughs> not, not bad. <laughs> <laughs> and the daughters are love. I mean, they've had me over for supper half a dozen times. Ah, uh, yes. I, uh, I thought I saw you and Marie Page eyeing each other over your paramecium. Clive, don't be absurd. And the other day you were telling me how attractive and articulate you are. Was I? Quite a storytelling Flair, you said. I did. Hmm. I think you fancy her. She's only a student. She will graduate. I still don't think it's ethical or sensible. Teaching means too much to me. You're implying that I'm unethical? You forced the issue. I think perhaps you protest a little too much. About Marie, that is. And here's the fourth act of Love Conquers All. Hello, Marie. Oh, Mr. Willis. Oh, um, how, how are you enjoying the cruise? Well enough. You're not catching cold. Of course not. Why are you all bundled up? I'm, um... It's August in the Mediterranean. I'm... Reading a book that makes me shiver. Oh, I see. Ghost stories? No, it's, um, The Raging Wars of Winter. Mm, quite a hefty book. You don't mind if I sit here? Oh, no. Hmm. A- actually, I'm uh, reading The Universe and Dr. Einstein. 
Unfortunately, I left it in the cabin. Oh, I've read that. How do you like it? Interesting. And, of course, uh, Dr. Einstein is fascinating. But, actually, I'm only just starting it. Yes, uh, what's this one? Oh. Oh. Brunhilde Wunderbaum, a Visigothic warrior queen, falls in battle against the Roman legions. Mm. She's nursed back to health by a famous Roman poet who loves her, but her passions burn for one man and one man only, the Roman soldier who tried to slay her. She struggles to reach him, fighting against the Roman Praetorian Guard, sneaking through the battle lines of her own people, and finally through the raging winters of Central Europe, until Brunhilde proves once again that love conquers all. Um, what do you think? Um... Interesting. Hmm. I'm reading it because I, I think it might shed some historical light on our Italian crews, Romans and such. The book's very well researched. Oh, uh, of course. You really think it's all right? What? That someone might like to read a book, such as The Raging Wars of Winter. If you like it, it's all right. My dad thinks I'm balmy to read such books. He says, if you wish to know about the Romans per se, read Gibbon's Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire and avoid this poppycock, as it were. <laughs> well, it's a bit more than just the Romans now, isn't it? What do you mean? Well, there's a bit of romance and adventure, a little fantasy. Yes, I suppose there is. And that's what about it? That's fun, isn't it? Hmm? Yes, it is. We all need a little respite from reality once in a while. I think you do understand. I try. It's tonight, Linny. It's going to happen tonight. Oh, Marie, you really think you want to go through with this? Yes, oh, yes. But what if Mr. Willis thinks you're ridiculous? Where's my good black skirt? I wish you wouldn't wear that. It's like a hunting costume with you. You're just jealous. You wish you had the courage. But what if he laughs at you? Think how embarrassed you'll be. I can risk that. Oh, you'll be miserable for the rest of the cruise. Think of all those hours you spent working in the chemist to earn your fare. Well, they'd be wasted. Linny, I'm sure your advice is very well meant and very prudent, but it's really more suited to yourself than it is to me. What do you mean? Well, even when you were in love with Mr. Willis, it was more something to be giddy and have fun with than, than something you took seriously. When the going got rough, it was easier for you to forget about him and go concentrate on your tennis game instead. Hmm, I suppose. But Mr. Willis means a lot to me. He's the reason that I'm on the cruise in the first place. I guess I think about him the way Dad thinks about the British Empire. It's the one thing in my life that's been a little glorious. You look pensive, Paul. I suppose you're wondering if your butterflies are being properly cared for. Actually, I was noticing how bright the stars are. And, and then it's so dark over there in the west where the clouds are starting to come across. Yeah, the trouble with this wind is I can't keep my wretched pipe lit. <laughs> I'm going in. Ciao. Arrivederci. Hello, Mr. Willis. Good heavens. Marie, I, I didn't see you with those clothes on. You sort of blend with the dark. I love the dark. Yes, it is nice, isn't it? The Mediterranean air seething in our lungs. 
You're glad you could make the cruise, then? Mm-hmm. I feel like Brunhilde Wunderbaum in my book, The Raging Wars of Winter. How so? I feel very strong. As though I could do something astonishingly rash and courageous for the sake of an idea. Do you feel that way about love? I? Hmm, I didn't see anyone else lying about. I don't know. You mean you won't answer? That's right. Then I'll have to lead the way. I love you, Mr. Willis. I've loved you ever since the day we were dissecting worms, and I was nauseous from the formaldehyde, remember? You told me to keep my head down, and you kept your hand on my back until I felt better. I remember. What of it? I knew then that you were a very caring person. That wasn't intended to make you react the way you did. I was concerned, but... Oh, I know that. But we've gotten closer since, and I I knew you liked me. As a person, not as a lover. That should be perfectly clear. Is it clear because that's really your natural reaction? If you wouldn't have to endure a solid reprimand from the headmaster and perhaps a few nasty comments from some town gossips, you might feel quite differently about me. But, Marie, the fact remains that you're, what, 17? Almost. Even if a romance with you were legal, it would be highly unethical. It's against everything I stand for as a teacher. I have no right to abuse my position of authority under any circumstance. But if you weren't my teacher... I am your teacher. I'm also rather more than twice your age. I don't care. I do. Please, don't be angry with me, Mr. Willis. I'm sorry. Oh, Lord, I just want to die. Marie. I do. I'd just like to jump off the bloody ship and die. Marie, don't be silly. I'm not worth it. How do you know? Because I've lived with myself all these years. Oh, stop it. Please stop it. Please don't tease Marie, me. Marie, I, I don't know what to say to you. Ordinarily, if a student of mine seems to be interested in me as a man, I tend to be gruff with her. I, I try to stop those feelings right away before she gets hurt. As your dad would say, nip it in the bud, as it were. But, well, we've become friends, haven't we? Yes. So I can't really use my normal defenses, can I? No, I suppose not. Oh, I feel just dreadful. This isn't the way a romance should go at all. Why is that? Oh, I imagine I should really go ahead and jump into the sea. It's awfully dark and getting darker. In this wind, you might never find me. <laughs> but just as you jump, I might grab you in my strong, sinuous arms and pull your fragile body away from the peril of the sea. Are you teasing me? Just a little. I ask you not to. I know, but it was such a good scenario, I couldn't resist. How can you make fun of romance? I'm not making fun of romance, nor of you. I think I'm making fun of expectations fantasies, especially when they get in the way of savoring a, a particular moment for what it really is. What's so great about right now? I'm not quite sure. Maybe maybe that you were brave enough to tell me one of your secrets. Oh, I do feel like a fool. Please don't. Because, you know, I'm really very flattered. And you're a very likable person, Marie. I need you to have someone I like tell me they like me. Well, good. You've had that. You see, I've been in the same position as you are, I believe. How do you know? Oh, my lady friend Gina left me. I was mad about her. I didn't know you had a lady friend. I haven't anymore. 
Why did she break it off? She left because she thought I was wasting myself teaching. At least that's what she said. I felt terribly lost. I'd built up all this wonderful, exciting, romantic energy, and there was no place to put it. Isn't that a little bit how you feel right now? Perhaps a little bit. And, and, and then my father told me that as far as he could see, a friendship laced with a sense of humor is more durable than the grandest of passions. What's that to do with me? Well, perhaps it's time for us both to realize that there are more ways to be with people than with those overwhelming feelings of good old... What's her name? Who? That woman you were reading about. Oh, yes. Uh, but Woodhilde Wunderbaum's feelings are beautiful. Oh, sure they are. And fun, right? Hmm. I'd hate for us not to be friends just because the feelings we have for each other aren't grandiose passions. Are you friends with Gina? <laughs> Trying to be. It's not easy. Well... I don't expect things will be easy for me, either. I'm going in now. I want to think things through a bit. Good night. Good night. As he watches Marie walk away across the deck... Paul Willis realizes that he needs to add a postscript to the conversation he has just concluded with his adoring student. Marie. Yes? I... I, I wish you didn't look so disappointed. I'm just trying to sort things out. I understand that you're right. After all, I can't live up to my romantic ideals. Brunhilde of Wunderbaum would have leapt into the sea and swum to Sicily to be with her love. I was afraid to do that, because I knew that in real life I'd simply sink like a stone. It's just part of growing up. But you see, I'm right as well. I was right to love you, because you are a very caring person. Without your defenses, that is. Thank you, Marie. So are you. Maybe that's the part that's really important. Mutual Radio Theater is brought to you five nights a week at this time. Tonight's original radio play, Love Conquers All, was written by Patricia Joyce and produced and directed by Fletcher Markle. Your hostess was Cicely Tyson. Our stars were Joan McCall and Ivor Barry. Featured in the cast were Richard Peel, Sandy Newton, and Ben Wright. The Mutual Radio Theater theme was composed by Nelson Riddle. John Harlan speaking. The Elliott Lewis production of Mutual Radio Theater is a presentation of CBI. This is Leonard Nimoy. Listen to us tomorrow. I've got another story of adventure. Listen here. Tomorrow.
and you're a very like. You can listen to classical and brand new audio dramas through the Mutual Audio Network. Subscribe through Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or iHeartRadio today. There's eight different podcasts, one for each day of the week and genre. And the Mutual Audio Network broadcast feed so you don't miss a day of your favorite shows. Subscribe to Mutual Audio tonight. Good night.